Turn your Bibles to page 1. Genesis 1, as we uh, start uh, a series in uh, the first book of the Bible, uh, the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. Um, We are uh, beginning a a trek through uh, the book this morning. Uh, I will admit, uh, maybe I shouldn't at this point, but I will admit uh, that at this point, I don't know if we're going to stop at 11 and then come back later and do more, or if we're going to keep on going, um, we will figure that out at some point or another. Um, but let me ask, if you're able to stand, and we're going to read verses 1 through 26 together. Genesis chapter 1, let's stand together as we read God's Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. There was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together He called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens and to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, 
and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I know that's an odd place to stop, but we're going to stop there. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's Word stands forever. Let's pray together. We pray, O Holy Spirit, as the one who inspired Moses to write these words thousands and thousands of years ago, that you would now be at work having preserved them these five, six thousand years or so, having preserved them for us, that you would now be at work in them and through them to teach us, to grow us, and most importantly, to to grow our love for Christ and to conform us into His image. For it's in His name that we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. things you're afraid of. I have to be honest with you. Um, I don't... The worst thing to me about living in Athens, Alabama is that we have these things called tornadoes. And, and I, will, I'm, I will readily admit they scare me to death. Hurricanes, I grew up with a beach house, and, and I was always aware of hurricanes, but you get so much warning. You get days, weeks even. I mean, you can see it coming. You can, you can watch. You can prepare. You can plan for that. Tornadoes, you get minutes. I mean, you think of the, the things that you're afraid of. Storms. Um, or if you sit around and think of, you know, what, are the, what would be the worst way to go? Drowning or a tsunami and a big giant wall of, of water flooding your land? Or sickness or disease of some kind? Is it, is it getting cancer? Is it having to face and, and deal with, with cancer and, and the horrible effects that it has on the body? Uh, is it this, you know, fear of bird flu or swine flu or bovine flu or this, that, or the other thing? You know, there's a mumps outbreak now in Missouri and Arkansas. Like, going crazy, apparently. Or is it terrorists? Is it, is it sort of this notion of people who are just out to get Christians? Or, or this notion that there are so many people in the world, just all they want to do is destroy the U.S. or destroy uh, Christianity or destroy whatever, whatever notion you may have in your head about about what terrorists or, or radical uh, religious groups want to do to you or to us or whatever. What is it you're afraid of? If you think about the things that make you scared, the things that make you lose sleep at night, you know you have them. We all do. But what are they? One of the things this passage does for us is that it makes our fears pale in comparison to the power and authority of God. Moses writes this book. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Uh, Moses writes this book to 
Israelite people. Perhaps they're in Egypt still and haven't yet left. Perhaps it's during the travel from Egypt to the promised land. Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, records these words for that group of people. People who are living under oppression from uh, the Egyptian pharaoh and their, all their gods and they worship the sun and the moon and cows and these animals and those animals and this river and that body of water and this random star in the sky. I mean, they literally have a, a pantheon of gods and a hierarchy of gods that they worship. And Israel is enslaved to those people. They're slaves in Egypt. That's their, their background. And you can see how this chapter would strengthen and encourage and comfort God's people in that setting. Because over and over and over again, this passage reminds us that the one true God of the Bible, that the, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our God is the King of the universe who created the earth to be His kingdom. Which means that all these other gods that the Egyptians worship are merely subjects of the King of Israel. Notice in this chapter, uh, this this plays out in three different ways. This, um, we see in, in, in chapter 1 with His powerful Word, the King of the universe created the earth to be His kingdom. And we see this three different ways. First, the King of the universe created the earth by Himself. Notice verse 1. How does the Bible begin? The Bible begins, well, in the beginning. That's a very good place to start if you're going to quote was it the Sound of Music. Where in the Bible is God's existence proven? Where in the Bible, where do the Bible writers go to great lengths to convince you, to show you God's existence? Here's the answer, they don't. They never, ever do. The Bible begins assuming that God is. The Bible begins that is assuming that God alone is eternal, that God alone is self-existent, that God was there even before the beginning. Because in the beginning, which time begins at creation, the Bible starts marking time, the beginning, day one, the, the start of time is when God creates everything and He's already there to make everything. So He's there before time is. He's there before the beginning. And never does the Bible seek to prove His existence. You know, there are all sorts of... If you take a philosophy class, if you take certain uh, Bible classes, you'll get into conversations, arguments for the existence of God. Arguments for uh, God, the reality of, of God. They have fancy names like ontological. They, 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 they exist. Those things are out there. The Bible doesn't bother with them. The Bible simply says, when time began, God was already there. 
because He made time begin. He created the heavens and the earth. God alone creates. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He doesn't have help. He doesn't have assistance. He doesn't, even the angels aren't at work carrying out His, His bidding in this passage. He simply creates by Himself. One of the things Genesis wants you to know, one of the things this passage wants you to know is that God is self-existent. That God is eternal. And He alone is eternal. That He alone lives and exists without dependence on anything else. Everything else is dependent on God for its existence. God merely is. God simply is. Moses begins... Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Moses begins with the comfort and hope that God exists above all of the other created beings because God is not created. He's the the maker of everything. We're we're told in verse 1, God made it all. That He brought it all into existence out of nothing. One of the things Genesis wants you to understand is that that matter is not eternal. That matter didn't predate God. That matter didn't predate God's work of creation. There's no massive dust blob floating in space that just waiting to be acted on and, and then explode into the sun and moon and stars and planets and those sorts of things. Matter is not eternal, only God is. Matter didn't exist until God brought it into existence. That's that's part of the point in verse 1, the the verb used there, created. The Bible has, you know this, you have have a a wealth of words that you could make. You you make something in your wood shop, You, you form, create, shape something with your hands and there are all sorts of words you could use create make form shape i mean the bible has at its at its fingertips a, a wealth of words to use it uses a word created the hebrew word is bara it is only ever used of god the bible never says that people bara People don't create with that word. It, it carries with it the notion that there was nothing there until God made something there. It carries with it the notion that God has created out of nothing. You even see this phrase in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You, you have a phrase that you mean, that when you say the phrase, you mean everything. You know, the whole nine yards, the whole enchilada. I mean, we have these phrases and what we mean is everything. That's a Hebrew way of saying, well, everything. The heavens and the earth. And, and part of the picture there, part of the, the point is it's sort of the top, the bottom, and everything in between is is part of the image that uh, is being carried 
carried out here, being used here. The Bible uses this phrase all the time, that God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth means all that is. It's nothing else is outside of that. It's the heavens and the earth, and that is everything there is. That's their word for universe. It's their word for for all of it. You you see the, the point. Genesis 1 wants us to know that God and God alone is eternal and that, that whatever else is, is because God made it so. That, that whatever else exists, exists because God brought it into existence. God created, the king of the universe created everything by himself. He didn't have help. He does it himself. He alone is eternal. Notice what else the passage though shows us about God. The the word used for God, his name used in verse 1, we'll we'll see when we get there, Lord willing, in chapter 2, there's a different word for God there. The word changes. The word throughout chapter 1 is the regular Hebrew word for God. It's Elohim. You've heard that word before perhaps. It's It's a plural word in itself. It's a plural word. It describes, it's a a plural word referring to a single, one true God. It's a a picture of, of power and majesty and authority, but it's also a picture of the Trinity. Because you notice in verse 2, His Spirit, the Holy Spirit is at work hovering over the face of the waters. He's... He's hovering, the third person of the Trinity is hovering over the face of the waters. And we see it again in verse 26. You notice all of a sudden there's a a plural in verse 26. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. There's this glimpse, this picture of the one true God, but who who is a Trinity, who has uh, uh, three persons uh, in one God. We get this, this picture over and over again. Where this word Elohim, it's a, a plural word of, of majesty and power and authority, but also of God being the Trinity. And notice too, as you look through the chapter, if you just, if you just scan the chapter and look at the verbs, notice that God, that all of the action verbs are God's. There is a let them bring forth according to their kind, and then they do. But the plants that bring forth according to their kind were first put there by God Himself. In other words, there's, there's no hint of help. There's no hint in this chapter that God gets assistance from anyone or anywhere in the creation of all that is. All the verbs are His doing, are His carrying out the activity of creation. He's bringing about the the creation of the universe and particularly of the earth to be His kingdom. You're an Israelite. You're in Egypt. You're about to leave Egypt. You've just left Egypt. You're on the way to the promised land. And, and Moses is sitting in his study and writing this. And you're like, why is, 
Moses got his you know, candle going at all hours of the night because he's, he's recording for us this chapter. How does this help you? How does this encourage you? Well, you're an Israelite getting ready to leave Egypt and all of their gods and worshiping the sun and the moon and the stars and that river and these animals. And, and you're thinking, how are we going to leave these people that, that have held us in slavery and bondage for 400 years? How are we going to get away from them? They're scary people. God says to you, but I created the things that they worship. They worship creation. They worship false gods. Your God is more powerful than theirs. Your God brought the things that they worship into existence. You're, you're between Egypt and the promised land and you check out the promised land and you realize there are giants there. These people are huge. Yeah, now, the garden's amazing, but you should see the people guarding the garden. They're scary. We don't stand a chance against them. This chapter is supposed to make you say, yes, we do. Because we worship the one true God of the Bible who can and will defeat them. Their false gods are just that. They worship the creation. They worship the things that our God made. It should drive you to greater comfort and hope in the face of fear and danger. You deal with tornadoes. God's more powerful than the tornadoes. You deal with hurricanes. God's more powerful than the hurricanes. You deal with sickness and disease. God's more powerful than all of that. That's, this chapter is designed to, to make you realize that, that God alone has brought everything into existence. And He therefore rules and reigns over all of it. He's more powerful than the things of this world. But not only does the king of the universe create the, work, the earth by himself, he also created the, the uh, earth by his word. You know the phrase, a man's home is his castle. I don't love to know who said that, who made that up. Sometimes you're thinking to yourself, that means that I'm supposed to be you know, the king, right? I mean, if, if my home is my castle, then I should be the king. And, and that means that my word should be, you know, authoritative. And when I say stop hitting your sister, you should stop hitting your sister. And when I tell the dog to sit, the dog should sit. And when I say stop writing on the wall, you should stop writing on the wall. When I say, I mean, th that's... Part of the, the picture of that phrase is a man's home is his castle. What it's, it's, it should imply and to some extent that his word has power and authority under his dominion, over the things under his rule and kingship. Notice in verse 2, the description of creation is formless and void and dark. It lacks shape. It lacks, it has not been filled. And it's dark. That's not the place where things grow. 
that's not the place where animals can be free to roam and reign and survive. That's not a description of a greenhouse. That's not a description of a place conducive to life. It's formless and void and dark. Everything about that says there will be, there is no and will be no life here until God grabs the only tool He uses in creation. I'm not a handyman. I don't pretend to be a handyman. I would actually kind of like to be a handyman. I'd, I'd love to have a wood shop where I could build stuff and make stuff. I think it, that'd be kind of cool. It's kind of rugged and manly thing to do. If, if I'm going to hang a, a picture on the wall, you wouldn't believe the tools I carry in from my garage. I mean, about six or seven or eight. I mean, how many things do you need to hang a picture on a wall? Well, I, mean, I may have to go back and forth three or four times to make sure I have what I need, to make sure it's in the right place and you do it all right. When it comes to creation, God has one tool, one instrument, and it's His voice. It's, it's, His, it's His Word. Verse 3 so you've got formless and void and dark and nothing about that is, has any hope or expectation of having any kinds of living creatures there. And God said, let there be. And there was. God said, let there be. And there was. The only tool, the, the only instrument that He uses for creation is... His Word. He creates by His Word. Think of how simple that is. I mean, you teach your children letters. I mean, from the youngest of ages, you teach them letters, and then you teach them to put those letters together and form words. When you go to the pediatrician, and they they want to try to figure out how well your child's doing, one of the things they will ask particularly when they're younger, is how many words does he know? That's a, an indicator of, of growth and maturity as children. Children. I mean, one, two? Speaking words? Part of the point is, that's one of the easiest things we do. Some of us use bazillions and bazillions of words every single day. And it's so simple. It's so easy. God simply says, let there be, and there is. Let there be light. The end of verse 3, and there was light. Let there be an expanse, and there was. Let the waters do this, and they did. Let the earth sprout forth vegetation. Did you notice the way verse 11 and 12 kind of sound humorous? You know, one of the things that you'll figure out, uh, particularly children, as you're reading the Bible, uh, and you're reading the Bible together as families, you will read a verse, and the very next verse will be the exact same verse, but in in one place, it's, okay, I'm going to get fancy English, it's hortative, it's a command, let there be, and in the very next verse, it's indicative, telling you that there is, but it's the exact same verse, and you're, you're repeating the exact same words, and Part of the point there is to say, 
It did exactly what God said to do. Nothing more, nothing less. God simply spoke and all creation came into being. Could you imagine that power? I mean, do you realize how huge I'd be? Let there be ice cream. And there would be ice cream. Just like that. Let there be. And there was. And it doesn't happen once. It's not like, it's not like let there be and then it did once and then something else took over. Over and over. In fact, ten times in this passage we're told let there be. That number should strike your memory, right? Ten is... is in a Hebrew number of fullness, of completion, of all that is necessary. Ten times we find, let there be, and there was. It's reminiscent of the Ten Commandments, of the, the Ten Words, the, of the, the Decalogue. The Israelites have, have that in their memory. They have the Ten Commandments. They connect these ten words as well. And God said, let there be, and there was. Was. We find in Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11 is that great hall of faith where those who have lived recognizing the life that is to come, recognizing the promise of fulfillment, expecting the fulfillment of God's promises, have lived by faith. And in Hebrews 11, verse 3, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The writer of Hebrews looks back at Genesis 1 and says, So this is what happened there. There was nothing, and God spoke, and then there was something, and whatever the something is, is because God spoke it to be something. That's the really confusing translation of Hebrews 11.3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Or the Shorter Catechism picks up on this truth, this reality, when it asks, what is the work of creation? And the answer is, the work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the Word of His power, in the space of six days, and all very good. The Egyptians worship the sun and the moon and the stars. The sun and the moon and the stars and the river and the animals exist because God simply spoke and brought them into existence. Not only does He rule and reign over them, but so simple was their existence that it was just merely speaking. From now on, I'm going to try. Picture hang on the wall there. And see if it will hang on the wall there rather than carrying in all the infinite number of tools that I carry to hang up a picture. Again, what are you afraid of? God simply by the word of His power brought into existence all that is. The king of the universe created the earth by Himself. 
the king of the universe created the earth by his word. And then we also see in this passage, although we pulled up a little short in verse 26, that the king of the universe created the earth by Saturday. You know the joke about Robinson Crusoe being the most efficient man ever? He always had everything done by Friday. Jesus, I mean, God completes his work of creation by Saturday. Okay, by is not an instrument this time. In the past, by his word means the instrument was his word. By in this sentence, in this phrase, has more to do with a time, a, a deadline. Uh, before Saturday got there, uh, it's not an instrument. I don't mean by Saturday in the sense that Saturday is an instrument. I mean by Saturday before Saturday came. But you're used to all that. Notice, notice the timing of Genesis one. There are an infinite, infinite number of books and articles and philosophers and scientists and theologians all over the map on all of this discussion. There's one thing you have to say about Genesis 1. Time marches. It's intended to communicate that not only was that is God alone eternal, not, alone, not only that God alone rules and reigns over all of creation, not only that God alone was able to bring about all things out of nothing simply through the word of His power. But there's a timeline in chapter 1. There's a schedule. And everything is accomplished according to a schedule. A schedule, quite honestly, that sounds really familiar to us. There's the picture here. This creation takes place in six days. God models for us a six-day work week followed by a day of rest. That pattern didn't begin with the fourth commandment in, in Exodus 20. The pattern of, of six days of work and one day of rest doesn't begin with Exodus 20 and the fourth commandment. In fact, we see it already in Exodus 16 when God provides manna for His people and they go out every single morning and they gather manna. And the next morning, if they kept anything overnight, it would be spoiled and they go back out and gather more manna for that day. And the only day that the manna didn't spoil overnight was Friday night because they were, there would be no manna out on the ground on Saturday, on the Sabbath day. It wouldn't be there. So on Friday you gathered a double portion and it would keep overnight Friday so that you didn't go back out and gather on the seventh day. For that matter, the fourth commandment begins with a, a word that you don't see in the other commandments. It begins with the word remember. And it looks back to Genesis 1. The, the, the picture of six days of work and one day of rest in Exodus 20, in the fourth commandment, is modeled after, it's based on Genesis chapter 1 and God's own practice of six days of labor and one day of rest. Six days of carrying out the work of creation and one day when, when that work has been accomplished and, and finished and God rests. Six times we read this phrase, and there was evening and there was morning, the blank day. That, that lends itself to see a regular 24-hour day. 
Anytime the Bible uses that word for day, the Hebrew word is yom. Anytime it uses that word with a number, it always, everywhere in the Bible, throughout the entire Old Testament, it always means a 24-hour day. Genesis 1 should be understood to be saying that God created all things by the word of His power in the space of six days, by Himself, without help, so He rules and reigns over all of it. God's work of creation is accomplished in six days. It was all the time He needed to merely bring this kingdom into existence by the word of His power. The King of the universe created the earth by Himself, by His word, and by the Sabbath. Let me make a couple of applications from this passage. This, a right view, the doctrine of creation has all sorts of implications. If, for example, just to think of the the ramifications of this passage, if matter is eternal, if matter is self-created, if stuff existed that maybe even that God used, but let's say it, it existed along with God, then it is equal with God. That is troubling to us. If, if you believe that matter is eternal, that matter was already there and God simply used the stuff that was already present, then I hope you didn't actually sing the words to the first song we sang. And I hope you won't actually sing the words to the last song we're going to sing that speak of God as the creator of all that is, the one who rules and reigns over all things. An understanding of the doct- our view of the doctrine of creation affects our view of God and affects the songs that we can actually sing in worship. If you believe that matter is eternal and created itself then storms and floods and tornadoes, and for that matter, terrorism, they're all outside of God's control. And you should be afraid. Genesis 1 wants you to see that they're they're there under His thumb. They're there carrying out His will. They're there fully and completely under His hand of providence. The original audience would have heard that comfort in this chapter. If you believe matter is eternal and created itself, you have no explanation for evil in the world. You can't, you, you can't explain the fact that there's sin and brokenness in the world around us. Or worse, you have no hope of being delivered from that evil. Only the, the God and King of the universe who has created by His Word against whom we the pinnacle of creation have rebelled and brought judgment on ourselves. Only He, also by His Word, can bring salvation. Only He, also by His Word, can bring deliverance from sin and save us from that rebellion. The picture in Genesis 1 is that God alone is the one true King, eternal Creator, ruling and reigning over all that He has made. May Genesis 1, may this book drive us to a growing view 
of the one true eternal God and King of the universe. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your power and rule and reign over all of creation that You simply by Your Word could speak into existence planets and solar systems, sun and moon and stars, creatures and vegetation. We thank You that You've made a world that's not grayscale. That You and all Your artistry have created a world with great color and beauty, and majesty, that it might then point us back to You and sing Your praises to us. Father, we pray that You would draw us to a high view of Your power and authority and Your rule and reign from heaven over creation. That that would comfort us in our times of fear. That we would trust in You. Through Christ we pray. Amen.